That was horrible, dude. That was horrible. Wow. That really is keeping it real right there. I hope we get the old computer back soon. Well, welcome to another edition of Keeping It Real, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was Chris Carl, our uh, our our living orchestra, if you will. That's right. I make an orchestra with just my mouth. <laughs> this is Eric Morrow, and we've got Stacks with us as well. Hello. So, um, guys, box office. I wasn't here last week. How'd you do? Uh, Calera called it, and Chris and I sucked. Yeah, yet yeah, again. Clara pretty much nailed it. He's, he had uh, Dragon coming in at number one in Losers Tanking, which is exactly what happened. He also didn't think Kick-Ass would do anything uh, business-wise. That also was true. So, Scotty Clara, this one's for you. Yeah, I would have been with you guys on the, on the Kick-Ass prediction, though. I really felt that that movie was going to come back in a strong way second week, you know, due to word of mouth, you know? I really Apparently did. Apparently the word of mouth was only geeks like it. Oh wow! That seems to be it. I mean, uh, there there's been a huge critical backlash against the film too. Yeah. It's not just like a a moralistic thing about ooh hit girl, you know, this little girl killing people. You know, let's see where that argument is when uh, Last Airbender comes out and this little boy doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think there was just a a kind of silent. I don't know if you call a majority, but a, a silent faction of critics that ended up in the end not being so silent that really hated it. Mm. You know, Ebert was one of them. And when Ebert, you know, the Mr. Gold standard of film critics can come out and say something is crap and say why other people, I think, feel liberated to kind of stick their neck out uh, with the with the geek masses and say it's crap. We then again, he liked Ebert liked knowing and didn't like Star Trek. So there you go. Uh, yeah, we gave it five out of five stars. I yep. stand by that. I think that's a great score. And I think that movie did indeed kick ass. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it cleans up on video. I mean, I kind of feel like now heading into the summer season, it's going to be hard for that thing to stay in theaters, you yeah. know, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. second take, second weekend take of nine million. I think it's gone by the time Iron Man 2 opens. Yeah. Although it was the number three movie today or yesterday with like 800,000. So. Kick ass? Yeah. Because it dropped to number five. So basically it was How to Train Your Dragon, Reclaim the Top Spot. After a photo finish race last week, when Kickass mm-hmm. made 15.4 million, and it's already it's such a success, they've already you know made plans to do another one. Right. Uh, you got um, backup plan. J Lo's comeback film, which apparently <laughs> the title "Stay Away Bitch" was not available <laughs> for them to use, so that came in at number two with 12.2, and Date Night holding in there, number three, 10.5 million, losers. Uh, tanked at number four with 9.4 million, then Kick-Ass with 9.3. So I think between Kick-Ass, The Losers, and then some, uh, you know, the news last week about Green Hornet and so, some of the troubles there, and then even just, um, you know, some of the other uh, smaller films coming up like Scott Pilgrim and... Um, Oh, God, it jumped right out of my head. But another Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this bodes well for the less uh, less well-known comic book properties are being turned into films. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the buzz on Jonah Hex is, is pretty toxic. And that's too bad because I'm a big Westerns geek. I like that character. I did a set visit for that movie. It looked cool. And uh, rumor has it that it's it's not good. 
Yeah, but we'll we'll see. We'll but it's see got a it. horse with Gatling guns. Yeah, we'll see it. And, <laughs> how can, you know, how can it and be? make a call. I don't want to damn that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah no, I, I'm I'm still pulling for it. I hope it does well. But yeah. I actually think Scott Pilgrim is going to be a quite good film. I think you know we were talking about this a little earlier, but I I feel like um, it's probably going to do about hot fuzz numbers. But I don't think the I don't get the sense that the studio is having this like huge expectation for it performing. I think they think it's. But going they to be might like need to start changing decent. that mindset because I don't think Robin Hood's going to do great. I can't get into why, but I don't yeah. think it's. I don't think that's going to be a big money maker for them. I think even if it's not really like this movie, maybe they need to start trying to sell Scott Pilgrim kind of like a Percy Jackson thing, and try and appeal to that audience. Even if they get there and it's like, what? It's just a Michael Saratine. Romance kind of comic. Well, I know that Universal, that's kind of their big uh, Comic-Con movie, you know? They run a, go down a Comic-Con in a big way. And we've seen the power of San Diego Comic-Con with certain films. So. And we've seen it peter out at the box office. Kick-ass. Yeah. was huge at every convention. Nobody went to see it. Just Snakes geeks. on a Plane. Mm-hmm. Snakes on a Plane, another thing. Sky Captain, Eon yeah. Flux. Although I did love Sky Captain. I mean, uh, well made movie. The uh, the ghosts of Hall H at San Diego are still <laughs> still screaming in the night. A lot of successes though. Uh, three hundred could three hundred three hundred success could be yeah. attributed a lot to yeah. uh, to Comic Con the Comic Con X Men, Iron Man. Yeah. See, I wasn't. Uh, I, I never. I, I wasn't at Comic Con for the early X Men films. Yeah. Was Was Comic Con used then for the first X Men yeah. to really sell it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. How How did that reaction go over? It went over really well. It yeah. Really, and you know, Brian Singer was very open, and uh, I mean, you know, there were a what lot kind of, of footage that they showed. Do you remember? They hastily, hastily cut together a, a kind of a trailer sizzle reel to the point where it didn't even really have finished effects like. Um, uh, there's that scene in the train station where Cyclops is like like Toad, yeah, you know, sticks his tongue out and it removes Cyclops's visor and he accidentally like blasts the roof off the place. They show that that quick scene of Cyclops shooting, blasting his eyes, and they just flash the screen red because they <laughs> didn't have like you know the the laser oh, beam great. effects in yet. That's but, like a 1960s cartoon. Yeah, but I think the audience was just really psyched to see the characters in Come live alive, action. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, there's a there's a reader question that actually ties in a little bit to the box office. This guy is asking, um, he said, this question is for all you guys. He's also got a great Final Fantasy-themed tag, Rabid Moogle 13. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, his question is, my question is for all you guys, since X-Men First Class... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get back to that guy. I'm oh, reading okay. the wrong one. Sorry, Rabid Moogle. We'll, we'll be with you in a minute. Uh, zombie with an X, zombie underscore two, is asking, what is up with the blame Midwest on failures? Um, you know, first channel surfing blames the Midwest if a show fails. Now kick-ass debuts low, and the first thing out of this podcast is another Midwest, we, Midwest we, blame. We were not blaming the Midwest, but it's a fact that if a movie is being shown in a region where you can't even, where the word ass is a dirty word, and they have to X out, the two S's and S, then this there's a stigma on that film that you're going to see a, a, a naughty movie or something. And uh, it, it, it isn't resonating. And I think it just speaks, though, to, in general, just sort of a problem not only, again, with uh, little-known comic book properties, but with certain R-rated genre materials, you know? Unless it's, uh, you know, some some tough guy, you know, killing... 
you know, like a Dirty Harry type thing or something like that, or, or Schwarzenegger kind of action movie. I don't know if R-rated stuff, what you know, how how well will it do? And then this will tie into our our conversation at the end of the podcast about how Nightmare on Elm Street's going to fare, and, and some quotes that I got this week uh, talking to the producer of that movie. I actually would ask um, Zombie, what's his uh, handle? Zombie underscore... Underscore two. Two, to write back. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm being totally serious. I'd, uh, I'm asking you, Zombie underscore two, uh, what's your take on genre fans in the Midwest? I mean, I, you know... In my opinion, yeah, I know you can too. I would like to get his too, and I want to hear what you say, Chris. But in my opinion, I, I think, you know, I, I live on one of the coasts. I uh, spend a lot of time in the other coast. He New won't York, tell so you which one. Well, no, I mean, obviously <laughs> in the West Coast, I spend a lot of time in the East Coast. And, you know, those are uh, almost hubs, right? Entertainment hubs. So genre fans are huge, and you see a lot of genre events, conventions, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing there. Um, so my my question is, what's it like in the Midwest? Are, are, is the Midwest a, hu- a big hub for genre fans and, as well? And do you put Wolverine claws on the Scarecrows, or is it <laughs> enough that they just, I don't know. No, I mean, I think, I think you know, it's, there's a bunch of factors. And I grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Wisconsin, and we didn't see all these movies come through necessarily. I mean, something like Kick-Ass might not have come to my hometown. And so that's definitely a factor in the Midwest. But then there is also a stigma for things that, you know, have some controversy surrounding them. And stuff like that, and I feel like the the values, at least in in sort of rural areas, are a lot more, um, you know, tend towards poo pooing something like kick ass, right? Um, so I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the people there, the people who are into sort of geek culture. I'm just saying like availability is a factor, and then also you know sort of upbringing is a factor. I think you know I had a, a small group of kind of geeky friends, and we all clung together but I didn't feel like out here I feel like everybody was excited about this movie right. I feel like if I was wa- if I was back in high school it had been like four of us and then everybody else would have been like yeah whatever uh, right, uh, yeah. I want to I want to go watch you know well, something else well it's kind of hard for these movies to play out there as well at least in your hometown because I mean didn't they ban like rock and roll music? So like yeah. you would have to go to the next town for yeah. school dances yeah. and stuff like and, that. But you know, his dad, the preacher, finally <laughs> came around in the end. My girlfriend came through and flashed her shirt and said, "Dance your ass off!" And yeah. then I learned to dance, and it was fun. You oh. did, but you also lost a few tractors in the process, especially playing chicken. But you know, if you weren't wearing those sneakers with the with the lace tied around it. You know, you would have chicken out first. <laughs> of course, I am not trying to stereotype the Midwest. But whenever Chris talks about coming from the Midwest, I always picture him as the, uh, not even the Kevin Bacon character, but his cowboy friend, you know, uh, with the, the hat. Chris that's character. A, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell Although you Although he thing. did have a part-time job churning butter, so that's why he couldn't get to a lot of these movies. I did love, love Footloose when I was a kid growing up, and and. I in in sixth fifth or sixth grade I decided that I wanted to look like Ren. So I used to spend all my time like trying to get my hair to go flat <laughs> on the, top, the top of my head. I like oh, I would like sit there with my with my hand on and then just smooth it out over my hand to try nice. to make Ren hair. My mom's like, What are you doing? Um so actually Rabid Moogle weighs in on this point too and says, As a person from the movie device, I can kinda understand where they're coming from. I worked at a movie theater in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I, I worked at a movie theater as well when I was uh, back in Wisconsin and people would 
rather see a dumb comedy or a kid's show over a superhero movie that was either rated R or a hero they didn't know about. And I think that's definitely, definitely the case yeah. with um, with the, the my experience being like a projectionist at the theater. Like they would be all in for the big, like safe um, Hollywood movies, but then something like a little edgier would come through, and they'd be like, nah, I don't know, it just wouldn't yeah, play yeah. well. Yeah, but in that the does help kill certain movies. Then I yeah, mean, for sure. Just you know, if if three quarters of the country just is not going to be into it then how did and i'm being totally serious here how did kill bill play in the midwest i wonder i honestly don't know i mean that movie didn't i feel like it didn't really make that much of an impact at the box office so mm-hmm. it wasn't and i don't think anybody expected it to yeah um i, I know something like grindhouse did really poorly yeah. you know it did poorly everywhere but it did better on the coasts and and i i feel like you know part of the reason was it wasn't marketed properly. It wasn't put out there, or nobody understood what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Midwest, I think that was even more so. So, hey, we love the Midwest. I personally love it. Grew up there. Have nothing but love. I mean, for I, have, it. I have family from there. My my grandfather is from Nebraska. It was a farm in Nebraska, and and those values definitely are something I'm familiar with. But you know, somebody who's lived on both coasts and outside of the U.S., it's. Uh, you know, there definitely is just, it's not a matter of blaming the Midwest. It's just that that sort of um, uh, being ill at ease, uh, uh, trying something that's edgier or different that, or that isn't like a pre, pre-packaged or pre-sold sort of property is, it's killing a lot of movies. And so it boils down to the, the theater owners too. Like they, you know, if they, if they aren't bold enough to bring it in, um, then you're not going to see it. Or if it doesn't perform there, they're not going to bring that stuff back. You know, right. so like that's it, why I wonder about this you demanded stuff. If that is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is it better to just try and dump a movie? Let's say something like a Solomon Kane, which is yet to come out stateside, um, just force it out there into 400 theaters across the country and just get it out and have it be seen. Or do you, you know, or do you try something like a you demanded, which is the attack they're taking? But it doesn't seem to be working because nobody's demanding it because there's nobody promoting it but us. Right, you know right. I mean? Yeah. And you know what? Uh, also, though, this isn't just a Midwest thing. I could see this is probably... Kickass is probably going to have the same problem overseas. Yeah. Internationally. Yeah. I would say it's... Um, I, when we say Midwest, I think um, that's probably that's probably bad. It's rural areas. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. is a lot of what we're talking about, I think, and and the majority of those exist, you know, in the in the Midwest. But you know, even here in in California, there's a lot of empty space and a lot of like l- rural places, and I don't think those movies are playing well in those places either. Yeah, and I think it goes beyond just the the geography of of you know of the country and the theater going um, you know crowded. It, it, I think it's I think to those of us who weren't geeks, and we talked about this a little bit last week, um, there was no real sort of idea of what this movie was. And and the advertising of it made it look like a send-up, made it look like uh, kind of a stupid comedy, you know, where they show like Christopher Mintz Platts falling off the dumpster and going, ow, and them singing in the car. I mean, it looks like a... Yeah, looks like a kind of a, a a poor sort of super bad version of of a superhero movie. Yeah. You know, I think it didn't even look like that. I think you know, like it looked like many people movie. were saying superhero movie or something yeah. like that. I think if you had said it's super bad meets a, a superhero movie, it, you might have been more successful. Yeah. yeah, but it's not even that. I mean, it's not that. Movie. And also, they didn't really sell Nicolas Cage in the advertising. And yeah, his star may as wa- may have uh, waned a little bit, but. 
Um, it still has some power. I mean, knowing opened okay, and yeah. and uh, you know, it's it would have helped to have maybe gotten his face out there a little bit more. Hmm. So, what's next on the uh, talking block here? Well, um, uh, some big news this week is that uh, speaking of Nicolas Cage, he might not be in Ghost Rider two. The report yes. that's out there is that <laughs> unless they start filming Ghost Rider 2 by uh, this fall, Marvel uh, could regain the rights from Sony. I don't know that he was the problem in Ghost Rider 2. Well, in well, Ghost Rider, I kind of feel like everything was the problem. Well, yeah. well see, he's got, a, he's got a couple of offers on his plate. And he's, his schedule is really full, and he might have to do uh, National Treasure 3. And that'll be a bigger payday. So, I mean, if he's out, do they recast Johnny Blaze? Do they bring in Danny Catch? What do you guys think? I say they uh, they go the Hulk route, man, and reboot. I mean, I know I I, I hate I can't believe I'm saying this, but reboot the Ghost Rider franchise, even though it's just a couple years old. Bringing in a new Johnny Blaze, cast a little younger, and kind of retell the. Either I don't even think you need to retell the origin story. Do exactly what Hulk did. Pick it up as a sequel slash reboot. What was I calling it? A requel. Yeah. A requel. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think they could bring in Danny Ketch, too. I mean, it'll be kind of the same thing without the confusion of a different guy playing him. And yeah. All I don't that. think they're... I like Superhero movies now have done this enough times that I don't think it's really going to confuse anybody that much. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they'll just be like, oh, okay, this is the new guy playing. And, and Ghost Rider was a big success. There was a little-known comic book character that sold well at, at the, the box office despite having terrible reviews. And again, it was Nicolas Cage. His face was on the poster. But there we go. It's Nicolas Cage. It's also Marvel. You know, So like those two entities together, I think, helped to sell that movie. And I'm, you know, we we talked a little bit about the Marvel news last week about possible Power Pack and Luke mm-hmm. Cage and Dazzler and all these other properties that could potentially have a movie. And I feel like that could be successful because they're going to have the Disney marketing machine behind them. They're going to like, they know already how to market their own movies. But if you've got something like Scott Pilgrim, that's an Oni press book, you know, like mm-hmm. you're coming out of left field with that one and it's going to need more help than than that. It, Same with Kick-Ass. Yeah, and it's and the thing is, it's not a prestige picture either, like a Road to Perdition or History of Violence, where you have this sort of, you know, a certain pedigree attached to it. You know, this is more of a in the family of a super bad and, and that, that sort of generation of, of film goers and filmmakers, and, and uh, I, I think I think Scott Pilgrim is going to end up being a disappointment commercially. I hope. I mean, I I I wish Universal well, and I, I like Edgar Wright, and uh, but I just think I just don't know what that movie is really supposed to be. I don't know if they have high expectations for it, just because like it is such a hard property to to get out there and 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 market. So I don't really know what the, what they how they're expecting that to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, can you underperform if if <laughs> you don't have a set goal? Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, I guess you don't make your budget. Of, yeah, I mean it's it's basically there, and there is some advertising. You know, there's some P and A that they put into it, and and I think that you know maybe you start trying to sell it on, you know, again like sell it as something maybe that it's not just to try and get asses and seats play up the sort of you know, yeah, the, the more fantastical mm-hmm. nature of it, you know, I um, rather than like the 
high school romancy kind of vibe that you get from the trailer, you know? Yeah. Which is exactly the entire story. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, real quick, circling back to Ghost Rider for a second, though. I, I, for one, would love to see a Ghost Rider film under the creative control, filmmaking control of Marvel Studios. Like, yes. I think that's a perfect project for Marvel Studios as opposed to Sony. Well, Spider-Man, I still want to see Sony do, to be honest. Oh, with that's you, right. I totally forgot about the Sony angle. I was talking about Disney marketing. Yeah. It well, wouldn't be Disney marketing because what they're trying to do is fight for the rights. Right, right, keep but, the rights. but Marvel might not grant an extension. They might bring that character back and maybe maybe he'll pop up as a, a smaller character in some more Marvel things. And that's how they'll do it, I, I think. I, I don't see know. them granting an extension. Yeah, I don't either. But I would see him popping up in the background of some other movies before them relaunching the character. Right. Doctor right. Strange or something. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Some sort of like Marvel Knights kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. You so know, who knows? Marvel Knights could be cool as a movie, but it would have to be set up in the same way that Avengers yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Well, just keeping on the Marvel tip for a second before we move on to other uh, sequel kind of news. Uh, Iron Man 2 is, is right around the corner. Uh, my review for the film is up now. It's, it's a positive review. Um... I'm not going to get into too much of it because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But I liked it, but I do wonder. I'm, uh, there is a mixed reaction out there among, at least uh, amongst the, the, the early crowd that saw it. And it's either going to end up being, to fanboys, this summer's Star Trek reboot, where you know it started off kind of like, mm, and then it really took off and everybody was like, oh, I love it, I love it. Or it'll be Quantum of Solace, which got some initial good reviews, and then now it's kind of widely looked at as a disappointment, even though it is the highest-grossing Bond film of all time. I feel like it's, I feel like fanboys don't matter in this case, and uh, people can gripe and and yell and whine about it all they want, but it's going to clean up, and they're going to do a third one. They're going to do Avengers, so it's like. You can complain about it, but I think it's still going to be successful. And, you know, critically, I think, you know, it has been a mixed bag so far. Um, You gave it four out of five, I think. I gave it four. And right now, the the current Rotten Tomatoes uh, percentage is is pretty high. It's in the 70s or 80s. But right now, they really only have the fanboy press reviews. And once you get the mainstream guys, and a lot of the UK critics did not like it. And I have a theory about that. And... uh, there is definitely, it is a quintessentially American sort of dilemma that this guy has. And it, to me, I read the movie as sort of a Second Amendment statement. The movie is basically about the government coming into your home to take your guns away. That is essentially what the government wants to do to Tony Stark. They want his stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to give it to them. And he's literally sticking to his guns <laughs> to the point where they're going to come and get it. And I, I think that'll resonate even just kind of uh, subconsciously with a, a great deal of America, the very, you know, the rural areas and and uh, the areas where the Second Amendment is a more kind of fervent issue for a lot of folks. Um, and also there's, there's uh, a sort of, with the Russian villain and everything, it is kind of almost like an 80s movie in that way, like like uh, Mickey Rourke's character's, it's, it's kind of like Dolph Lundgren 2.0, like Dolph Lundgren <laughs> from Rocky Four. You know, they, there's a scene where, you know, 
Mickey Rourke gets rammed at 50 miles an hour right in the balls by a Mercedes, <laughs> and he just shakes it off, and he's not wearing armor. <laughs> that's like that's how strong his real junk is, is that he can take it to the balls a few times, shakes it off, keeps going. He's not even wearing like a pelvic cast or anything in the next scene. He's not even limping. Nice. Like, I shake off your car to the net. <laughs> like, your car to the net. And then, exactly. and then there, you know, there's a lot of other elements in there that make it kind of a um, politically an interesting movie. So I'm, I'm curious to see that reaction to the film. And I feel like I'm one of the first ones out there that's that's seen it that is kind of making that argument about the movie that it's it's definitely got a kind of a right of center message and a kind of a quintessentially American. Uh, identity to it, and I wonder if that isn't part of the reason why it's the UK critics are disliking it, besides its kind of plot or pacing issues. I think regardless of any of that, it's the same thing as fanboys. Whether or not UK critics don't like it, people in the UK are going to go see this movie. Cause Tilly is. It's <laughs> Tilly has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like a huge movie, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's the sequel. It's, it, it's enormous. It's going to be the biggest movie of the summer. I, I yeah. just don't see it like Failing on any level. I think that and Toy Story 3 are going to be neck and neck for biggest movie in the summer. Oh, Toy Story 3 does command a little bit, possibly wider audience. And we'll yeah. see, too, how Prince of Persia does. I mean, Prince of Persia could be a surprise this year. Or it'll be, it'll do like Clash of the Titans business, which is good. And this is actually segueing into a news item. But it, it's it's good, but it's not, like, breathtaking. I mean, uh, Clash of the Titans has made $146 million so far. Yesterday... We're on Box Office Mojo looking up something else. And Matt Fowler, our TV guy, came across a figure for Wayne's World, which 15 years ago or more made $120 million at the mm. box office at that Jesus. time. Wow. That's a monster hit. That would be like 200 and something million now. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it, it's a... Uh, you know, just for for something like Clash of the Titans to make 146, I wonder if Prince of Persia will do around there as well. But it could do more. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, it, th- they're definitely going to hype up the Pirates of the Caribbean angle as yeah. closer to the movie, I think. And right. And uh, well, on the Clash of the Titans front, uh, news report came out yesterday saying that uh, a sequel is moving forward, but without Louis Leterrier, who wrote and well, kind of concocted the story for the remake and directed it. That, to me, is surprising. He's going to be involved as an executive producer, which we all know means next to nothing. It's kind of a yeah, token title. That you was their somebody, way of appeasing him. Basically. That's like, that smells of exit deal. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, and it just, I don't know why they would kick him to the curb yeah. after he's basically the one who made this thing happen. Because it had been sitting in development hell for a while, and he made that movie happen. Not only did he make it happen, but apparently he's the one who came up with the the concept for the sequels. I mean, he said. I mean, on the set visit I went out to. He envisioned this as a trilogy. He has stories set for a trilogy. Well, so, we'll yeah. see because they hired Greg Berlante, who's also writing the Green Lantern movie, mm-hmm. to write the the script for it. So maybe I don't know if they're going to use the the rough outline uh, that you know Leterrier. I interviewed him for this for Titans, and he was telling me basically the gist of his trilogy was going to be sort of the ongoing war between the gods and man and sort of the how the gods came to pass uh-huh. from the earth, and, which I thought was a fascinating idea. And, uh, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. Titans 1 had a lot of reshoots and a lot of stuff like that. So, Well, and it could be that, I mean, we, we don't know the whole story either, so it could, it could be that he ha- wants to focus on other things too. Yeah, I mean, they, they were still, he was still kind of... Uh, 
maybe in the running for Avengers at that point. So he was kind of open about saying, look, if Avengers came up, they can take my <laughs> idea for Titans and run with it. Well, apparently Avengers didn't come up for him, but they're still going to take his idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he, he, he uh, was pretty much mentored under Luc Besson. Right. And, uh, and uh, that's what you had seen Besson do a lot of is, you know, start something and then produce the rest mm. of it or, yeah. you know, just, just be kind of in there in some cursory way. So I think, you know, it could be that too. Well, uh, also part of that same report was that uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth 2, a sequel that I still don't know if we need. The first movie did okay at the box office. It, it had legs, it lasted, and it ended up making a decent amount of money. Um, uh, again, it's Brendan Fraser's kind of, it's a, kind of like a Nicolas Cage thing where you don't seem to have much goodwill left with fanboys. Your standing seems to be pretty low, but somebody slaps your your face in a poster, kids and families go to see your movies. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it it just goes to the fact that Kick the Don Knotts factor. Kick Ass is a movie that was predicated on fanboy love. Um, <laughs> National Treasure is a movie that's that's predicated on real, <laughs> yeah. you know, like mainstream tons of people going to see it kind of love. Yeah, dep- and those are the kind of movies that, that, you know, are sure bets, and those are the ones that Hollywood makes more often than not. Yeah, and uh, uh, that kind of segues into a little bit of um, a news item I got this week. I was talking to uh, producer Brad Fuller, who does, uh, he, he did uh, Friday the 13th reboot that came out last year. And he's the producer in the new Nightmare on Elm Street, which opens up this week. Seen it tonight? Me too. (laughs) My God, we'll be at the same place at the same time. Wow. Uh, But he was saying how, you know, we were talking about Friday the 13th uh, sequel not happening, even though the first one made money. And he basically said that R-rated horror does not perform outside of the U.S. Uh, Particularly, for example, in Britain, you have to be 18 and not 17 like in the U.S. to see an R-rated movie. And that little bit of a difference means a lot to the amount of money they can take in. Um, it just doesn't do well around the world. And with the shrinking economy, films are making less uh, – studios are making less films. They're making now between 8 to 12 movies a year as opposed to the old days when they would do like 12 to 18. Um, only one movie really of that batch might be a horror movie. He said when – New Line Cinema, which has, in his words, they have horror movies in their DNA. You know, it's the mm-hmm. house that Freddie built. When they are only doing one horror movie on their slate for the coming year, and that's Final Destination 5, which has a new writer. <laughs> that's my news item right there. Uh, <laughs> then that speaks volumes about the the times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, also I think speaking to the that point, somebody somebody brought up like, is is that seventeen eighteen distinction really, you know, that big of a deal? And I think it is. In the and UK, it, you mean? In the UK, yeah. I think it is because um, from what I've heard, and I, you know, I never lived there or anything. They're much more strict about who gets into movies and who doesn't. I know I, um, in you know, it's Commonwealth, but I went to Australia, and it was impossible. For anybody to get in, they ID'd everybody. It was like buying cigarettes. Um, I went to see, granted, I was going to see The Aristocrats, which is a <laughs> filthy, filthy movie, but, um, you know, they, they were IDing everybody and not letting anybody in. In the United States, I think it's a little bit more relaxed. It's not like a law or anything, it's a policy, right? But they the also have a different theater. attitude about. <clears throat> about violence. And I was talking to our my, my colleague, uh, Cindy White, IGN DVD editor, uh, about this. And 
you know, the UK folks have a different attitude on sex and violence than the Americans do. Americans love their violence, but they hate seeing sex. On the other hand, in Europe, That's they're fine true. talking about sex, <laughs> but they don't like violence. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting since, you know, Britain's the country that gave us Jack the Ripper and the Yorkshire Ripper. And we started, and the whole thing <laughs> yeah, devolved into individuals. a... Right, but it, it devolved into, you know, you call those guys uh, rippers, you know, which sounds nicer than like slasher or... Or butcher or anything like rip something that's I don't ripped. Know, I think that sounds gross. No, something that's ripped can be sewn. It can be mended. Something that's slashed or butchered or strangled. Eh. I think that's getting into semantics pretty deep. Right, but but you know they do seem to have a different kind of attitude on on the portrayal of violence as opposed to the portrayal. Of you know sex, me. And it's you know here. You know I'm not a big horror dude, so I don't really have much to contribute to this conversation. But just the one line that sticks out from um, what Brad Fuller told you, you know about where he says R-rated horror just doesn't work here. That just seems so ridiculous to me. Like, how can you have a horror movie that's not R-rated? Like, PG, PG-13, I'll, I will see those. That's how much of a wuss I am. Like, was some Prom Night uh, uh, PG-13? It might I think might have been. It yeah, might have I mean, been. Those movies the, can, that kind of can movies make a lot are, more. Yeah. You get yeah. a bunch of 15-year-old kids that can cut school or go right after school and go see it, it's going to make a lot more it's money. It's just not... Ho- but you know what I'm saying? Then don't call horror, it, yeah, yeah, don't call it a horror movie, I guess is what yeah. I'm getting at, you know? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. Sor- was Sorority Row R or PG-13? R. R, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder if Sorority Row was PG-13, would that have done better? Yeah. I, I, also, it would have been better if it was good. I <laughs> <laughs> that would I, help, too. You know, it's the same with R-rated comedies. I don't... I really, really don't want Hollywood to start pulling back from these kind of things because... PG-13 is probably the worst thing, in my mind, to happen in the movie industry in terms of just... It's the best thing to happen to comic book movies or adventure films, the worst for other genres. It's like, aesthetically, it's one of the worst things that has happened in the movies because you don't get that... You don't get those, those like, over-the-top things anymore. You get this watered-down version of something that should be a scary story or a really funny story or something like that. I don't feel like anybody even... Even thirteen-year-olds don't live a thirteen-year-old, you know, PG thirteen lives. Yeah. They are they are like definitely in the red in the red zone there. They're not mm. they're not even talking PG thirteen like Chris great thinks they're all hit maybe. girl. <laughs> no way, dude. When I was, I think I started swearing when I was like eight years old or nine yeah, years old or yeah, something. Exactly. Like just like I dropping all the <laughs> yeah, dropping all the words I could think of because it was like a cool thing to do. I'm sure that hasn't changed. It's probably gotten worse. So it's like PG-13 just strikes me as false to life. You know, it doesn't seem like anything that, that is well, actually Well, you can thank on. Steven Spielberg for that. Yeah, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, yep. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I was watching Dark Knight on cable the other night, and that's a PG-13 movie. Everyone's like, it should have been R. But if you look at that movie... There's no actual bloodshed, like when the Joker. It's the it's the threat of violence. The that that feeling of uh, that violence is imminent uh, is what is disturbing, and just Ledger's performance. But all that stuff with you know you know how we got these scars and get the knife to somebody's face when he kills Michael Jai White. All you hear is a music cue and somebody's reaction shot and a body falling. You see nothing. You know, but it feels like an R, and it's like there are ways to kind of use use PJ thir- PG thirteen's kind of parameters, but still kind of have an emotional effect. I would I would agree. I don't like the parameters of PG thirteen, but I would agree that Dark Knight should have been an R, just because 
it did have that emotional resonance. You know, I feel like having a kid in that movie who isn't, you know, psychologically ready to handle that is is kind of problematic, especially since it's a Batman movie. You know, it's a Batman movie, so everybody's bringing their little kids to it, and it's like, oh, it's PG-13. We've seen other weak-ass PG-13 movies before, and it's really intense. That movie's really intense. My, My parents actually call me after it, and they're like, wow, they're like, that was uh, that was pretty disturbing, and I, I thought the whole like surveillance footage scene was really disturbing. Oh yeah, um, yeah, with that Joker and the kid, yeah. It was so it's th- at that level. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it would have been a little cooler too if it was another. Yeah, I think yeah. we always wanted that R-rated Batman movie. But I don't think they're ever gonna do an R-rated Batman movie. You know, like. I just want to see The Dark Knight Returns on film. That's what I want to see. Well, I, that I, would be an R. But I, I yeah. bet you Nolan, you know, he's going to do the third one will be his last one. And that was confirmed this week that it's coming out by either two, 2012 or 2013, more than likely 2012. I bet you he's going to poach from all the great ones for that one. I, I bet you, here, here's my theory about Batman 3. You're going to see... Bruce Wayne, after the events of the last film, kind of retreat into himself, retreat into Wayne Manor, kind of a la Dark Knight Returns. And, um, you know, if you look at the first two movies, like the second one is definitely about he's trying to find somebody to pick up his mantle. Mm-hmm. That's why he, he's so invested in Harvey Dent. Well, wouldn't that logically kind of continue now if there's a void in Gotham City? Not only would there be a void with criminals, but be a void with crime fighters. So wouldn't there have to logically be somebody that would rise up to kind of fill that void? And that brings to mind either Catwoman, who is kind of, you know, she carves out some of her own territories to kind of protect from the mob, or Riddler, who in uh, recent uh, incarnations has been kind of somebody that would help the cops. But I I would put my money on Catwoman just because if you have a, a female villain in the next one, you dodge the whole issue of measuring up to Ledger's Joker. If you do the Riddler, you're you're just going to be measured against that guy every time you're on screen. If they do do the Riddler, they should take the version of the Riddler that happened in um, the Batman Arkham Asylum game and bring that to the screen because it's a much darker. Can you tell us about one of them? Yeah, he's just it? he's just like a psychopath. He's interned in in Arkham. He's just he's just you know. Absolutely. For well, a minute there, I thought you say. said he was interning in Arkham. Yeah. Wow. He's a... I should say he's more of a sociopath than anything. You know, he's making, like, baby-killing jokes and stuff. And I just think, you know, maybe that version is too close to the Joker that we saw last time, but he he definitely is a manipulator, right? So Scarecrow was one thing, you know, using hallucinogenics and mind control. And then you had Joker, who was all about chaos. And then you come back to Riddler, who's all about, like, control again. You know, I, I, yeah. I think he could be an interesting yeah, character. Yeah, I think that would... I think, the, again, the only, the only possible factor that could undo Riddler uh, is, is the idea of, is he too close to Joker in some ways? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Catwoman seems to be the safest bet, especially since they need a, a female protagonist in there somehow. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, the Huntress, you know? that That's going to really get it into comic book character- territory, though, you know? Which but so is Ra's al Ghul. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they dug deep for the first movie, and then, you know, they were always kind of saving. They have Mr. Zazz in it. I think think Catwoman (laughs) also is um, mainstream enough to work, you know what I mean? Like, uh, she's not an obscure... Mm-hmm. Batman would create some sense of excitement about it too, because oh, who are you gonna get? Uh, how is she gonna look? All that. Yeah, you know, exactly. Creates a different uh, conversation about that film than how are you gonna live up to Heath Ledger? The I minute mean, the minute you change genders of that character, it's like it's a moot issue. No you know, gonna... you mentioned Ra's al Ghul, and I think that that's why I think that's partially a big reason for why Batman Begins works so well too. Is that that film was truly about Batman's beginnings as opposed to the villain. Can you imagine if they, yeah. they had cast Joker in that first it, one? It, well, they you need know. to stop thinking about every movie as Batman versus something. You know, like, it, it, it is Batman is the character. Yeah. And I felt like, I actually think the Dark Knight should have been called the Joker. You know, like, <laughs> really, Batman doesn't do a whole ton in that movie. Well, it's he really, it's, it's actually, too. no, it's really, yeah. it's, it's Harvey Dent's story. And, and Joker and Batman are kind of there to serve that character. If you think about it, it's like everybody's pinning their hopes, uh, whether it's it's for something good or something bad to come of it, for, on him. And it's really like some of his, his decisions that set different things in motion. So, yeah, Batman is, you know, he's definitely, he has things at stake in that story. But it, it, I would say, yeah, he's probably not the most important one in Dark Knight. Yeah, and I I think they have to return to him being the central character in the third movie because yeah. it for me if I have a criticism of Dark Knight outside of his ridiculous voice, it was uh, what exactly? <laughs> it's it's that it's that he, he as a character isn't explored all that much. It's like other characters are explored, and he just kind of is there to play off of them. Yeah, I think I think the third one would be interesting if they could just get to the idea of. Um, do you want to continue being Batman or do you want to wrap it up? You know, and yeah. if you want to wrap it up, well, what's the best way that they could close out this series? You know, like, you know, his whole idea was to kind of inspire Gotham to be better. Well, once he inspires Gotham to be better, does he still need to keep doing this? Kill him. Yeah. I mean, I could, yeah. or, you know, or they, again, like to get back to the uh, the point that started it all, you poach from Dark Knight Returns and he fakes his death. Wayne Manor gets destroyed, and he takes off with like an underground group. Yeah, and and you kind of work in a Robin type character that way. You know, it's like I think there's a lot of ways that could go, and I think they're just fearless enough to not worry about like, well, what about the next group that comes in to do a Batman movie after us? I think they don't give a damn. I think they're going to do their own thing. Yeah, I think they don't have to rule. Yeah, I agree. They don't have to rule anything out. Yeah. Batman dying could happen at the end of this movie. I don't think it will. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I want to talk about really bad? What's that? 3D. 3D. Well, <laughs> by God, we have 3D news, Chris Carl. The Ring 3D. Yeah. The, <sighs> well, okay, first off. First off. The Ring 3. Like D. 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 <laughs> the, the Ring 3D. How many years since the last Ring movie? And wow. Well, the first one came out, what, 2002? Think so. Yeah, it's like eight years. Yeah. Well, and not only that, dude, but there. Yeah, you're right. There's this big gap between two and three now, D. But they're also going to apparently make it a little more teen focused. Yes, yeah. it's going to focus wah, on the kids wah, wah. who uh, who find an old VHS player. 
Like, like they make it sound like they had to yeah. go to the wow. Like what's this? Dust it off next to the Super <laughs> Eight projector. They should just have some Christy Canyon movies in there, and that'll be a different <laughs> movie. <laughs> I okay. So background on me: The Ring is my favorite horror movie. The remake is my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, Ring Two is pretty pretty disappointing. Ultimately, this seems to me like a cash in on something that you can't cash in on, and the 3D thing doesn't interest me at all. With this movie. I'll tell you what it does interest me in. Piranha 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, people. Watch that trailer if you haven't. It is I still haven't seen delight. it, actually. I gotta see it. Dude, every, it's, the cast is crazy. It's got Christopher Lloyd in it. Did you know that? No, I did not. No, watch 1. that trailer. 1.21 gigawatts, honey. Oh, dude. <laughs> That's the energy generated by the piranhas. I am so feeding frenzy. On that. Jerry O'Connell's in it for some reason. Oh, Lord. Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. It's just weird. I, that I knew, actually. It's like that a great 1980s lineup, man. You got the yeah. kid Stand By Me, you got Back to the Future, and you got Adventures in Babysitting and Cocktail. <laughs> All in one. It'd be great if it was her character from Cocktail. Because you know, didn't she end up going down to like some... like. Uh, down in Jamaica or to the Caribbean, to the Bahamas or something. Something like that, yeah. And he goes and finds her. Now, there. what if it's years later and now she's working at a resort somewhere? Boom. <laughs> oh, um, this kind of ties in with one of the one of our readers wrote in, and he was like, "You guys talk way too much about comic book movies." Yes, that's all they make. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we talk a lot about comic book movies. We know that. Um, and he's saying, "I'd like to hear more horror movie talk." Um, which we just did. So well, I even happy. have a little bit more for him. KSE six 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 six. I think it's five sixes. Why not just three, buddy? <laughs> Get with the Crowley. Um, <laughs> he's saying there's been a lot of Alien prequel and Predator movie news lately. What are your opinions on these movies? Um, well, I think it's funny that he should say that because I actually have some news items that Do we it. can talk about. Okay. Do it up. Well, first of all, Saw Seven is in 3D. And they're bringing back Carrie Elways. That's been officially confirmed. Carrie Elways, who was Dr. Gordon in the first movie, uh, and then had a big lawsuit, and that's why he was never in the other ones. He's finally back. He's going to be in Saw 7, which, uh, according to uh, the writer of the film, they believe is going to be the last one. So, one, what do you think about bringing back Carrie Elways? Is it kind of a little too late because people don't give a damn anymore about Saw? Or? I don't think I so. Think I think it's a good thing. Yeah, great move, especially in the fact uh, that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, all of these movies literally kind of take place within the same time period, right? They're all happening at the same time, roughly. Yeah, so, which just makes it all the more annoying. Yeah. So, you, you know, so by bringing him back in the seventh film, it's almost like, well... He was just in a trap like a month ago. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can really play it <laughs> off like that. Like. Well, uh, also joining the cast is Sean Patrick Flannery from Boondock Saints, and also known to you as Young Indiana Jones. That's right. And he was in Powder. And he he's was a cool powder. cat. He's a nice guy. And I'm happy he's in this. Yeah, so he he's going to play a guy who was a survivor. Basically, the, the, the gist of the plot that was revealed this week as well. Gist of the plot is a, bu- a, a bunch of. Um, yes, spoiler alert. <laughs> Still with us? Okay. Uh, is that a group of um, jigsaw trap survivors get together, and this guy Bobby, played by Sean pa- uh, Patrick Flannery, is sort of their leader. And is there more going on? So it smells a lot like somebody picking up jigsaws, sort of mantle and all that. Mm-hmm. But that's just my guess. 
Yeah, so, we'll see on that. Uh, in terms of the Alien prequel, it's been it's going to Ridley Scott said it's going to be split into two films, so it's going to be uh, Alien prequel prequel one prequel two, and then that will lead into Alien, and it's going to follow the uh, uh, space, space jockey. jockey. Which so is space the, jockey is that that it's that big eight giant right alien that that had the chest burst come out of it right yeah the, so you want to so follow a, this giant alien thing for your whole movie is that's it really AVP that's a really really weird choice yeah because I don't think there's ever been a movie or a successful movie ever that's followed like an alien a non humanoid alien life form. Entirely. Entirely. You know, like unless unless he's just maybe he was just the pilot of the ship. Yeah, I mean, what it could be is like were. the some. Well, humans didn't know about or aliens, right? Or maybe it's this. maybe it's that first group of people that were on that planet, the terraformers, and they come across his wreckage. Yeah. You know. Interesting. I mean, it's got Ridley Scott in charge. I'm sure he's going to do a good job. He knows all this also stuff gonna be <laughs> way better than we do. That's also going to be in 3D, and he's been griping about, you know, he likes to film those movies dark. Well, uh, you need a lot of light to shoot in 3D, so he's like, technically, he's pulling his hair out trying to figure out Nothing how they're going to get it to look right. could be darker than AVPR. Okay, so uh, bring me up to speed, or because or, I'm, I'm a little hazy. I saw it so long ago. First Alien. Uh-huh. Okay, um, Tom Skerritt, Scorney Weaver's team, they respond to it's an SOS beacon, right? Is what it right. is. Mm-hmm. So that's why they go down to the to the planet. They go down to the ship, right? Yeah, and that's where they find all the eggs. Is on the ship. Uh, well, it's wreckage yeah. of an alien vessel, right? On and the planet. On the planet. And and it had all the eggs in there, and then one of them opens up and gets. Yeah, it latches on to John Hurt. John Hurt, right. And then he brings it back on the ship, and then it bursts free from him. And, and then, then flash forward, that planet that they landed on, and all of that incident happened, is the same planet in Aliens that the Marines go to because the the, co- the corporation had sent a group of terraformers, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's the same planet. It's the same planet. Yeah, the terraformers came between Alien and Aliens. Right. And that's why Sigourney Weaver is all pissed off that they're doing that. And that's also why the corporation is there. They're there to, like, well, I mean, they're there for two reasons, right? They're there to, like, make it a colony. And then they're there to also study this life form that they they had heard about and weaponize it. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited for those movies. I um, there was also a news bit that uh, that there's going to be some information on uh, a Blu-ray coming right. out. Right, in uh, November the uh, for the holiday yeah. for the holidays they're going to release the quadrilogy uh, on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and I think they're calling it the Alien Anthology. It's getting a new name, but yeah, they're supposed to be. Maybe a, a featurette or something yeah. that's tied to the prequel. Well, speaking of aliens and sequels and all that jazz, uh, there was a rumor this week that the studio wouldn't outright um, dismiss because I don't think they really know if it's true or not. But <coughs> excuse me, a District Nine sequel, District Ten, excuse me, uh-huh. <laughs> District Ten. Uh, the rumor has it that it could shoot as early as this fall in New Zealand and South Africa. And that Neil Blomkamp, the director, and Peter Jackson, the producer, would be back. Uh, Now, a company called QED International is the one that has the rights to this, and they produce them. Sony is just the the one that released it stateside. And Sony doesn't think it's true, uh, you know, so they didn't really officially confirm or deny. 
but I think that was more out of the uh, out of ignorance, frankly, that right. they don't know. And QED International never replied to my calls for comment. Mm. So I mean, it, it, it's possible that they could be heating up uh, another one, but I don't know. I, I thought Blomkamp had other things on the radar that he wanted to go do. I, I think outside of Blomkamp, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer that movie did well and it did well on no budget. So. Why not? I'm just afraid Do of it, it turning into the latest like direct to video franchise. Right, exactly. You know, it's like District Nine, you know, Escape from Jay Berg or what yeah. is it? Joe Town. Joe Berg. Now but do you follow do you follow um the Vickis character in the sequel or do you just create a whole new storyline? I think everyone's prods? expecting Christopher Johnson, the alien, to come back. Yeah. And get him, yeah. You know, and it'll be like the Spartacus version of. <laughs> yeah. See, that's that's kind of talking about what we were talking about before, like following an alien character exactly for an entire movie. There's no like human element to that, so you're gonna have to ground it in humanity. Unless There'll it's animation, you can't really get away with it. Yeah, know? you're gonna need some human characters in there. So who who will those be? Not his wife, I'm sure. Or or you you get an alien and you you paint him up like you know like a. Uh, Marvin the Martian or, or uh, Gizmo the Great from, from Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, <Flintstone>. yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's really pulling back. Yeah. That happened. So uh, uh, I don't know if this is considered horror to anybody, but uh, it's pretty horrifying to the rest of us. But uh, Twilight 4, Breaking Dawn, <laughs> has a director, Bill Condon, the guy who did Gods and Monsters, is training in Gods Weird. and Monsters for vampires and werewolves. But Breaking Dawn is the one where... Uh, basically, the Kristen Stewart character, I, I believe, finally has sex with Edward Cullen. Yeah, that's and what the whole so movie is so powerful that he, she like physically gets repped up, like really badly damaged, like mm. blood gushing everywhere. Really? So yeah, bring your kids to that one. Mm. I don't suddenly know if that's Mara accurate. Suddenly, looks a lot more interesting. No, 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 no. Because I think, well, see, I don't want to. Well, okay, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the books. Yeah, all okay. two of you that yeah. might be listening to this. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, she gets turned in this one, and that's the only way that she can have sex with them, is by herself becoming a vampire. Well, I suggest you Google it. Apparently there's something on Wikipedia. Really? Interesting. About the, uh, I'll have to check that out. Wow. Breaking Dawn might have a double meaning. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so. I will say this, dude. I will say this. I just, you know, They just released a trailer for uh, Eclipse uh, mm-hmm. that we put up on the site um, late last week, and I watched it. I mean, obviously, it's all in the cutting right now. They edit this thing, but the action looked pretty sweet. I mean, they're going to have a big-ass war between well, vampires and werewolves. They are amping it up, uh, and uh, I'm wondering if it's not going to start turning into more like Underworld than Twilight yeah. at a certain point. Yeah, you know, kind of the poor man's Underworld. I, I, I still haven't seen New Moon. I heard it was ass, though. Yeah. I liked it better than the first one. I liked it better than Twilight, to be honest with you. Okay. So. Well, I'll have to check it out then. We probably should uh, roll into the weekend openings. Well, I'll keep you on the horror note, just to keep uh, yeah. Mr. Five X's there happy, or Five Sexes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Nightmare on Elm Street opens up this weekend, and it's opening up against uh, Harry Brown, a small British movie. Basically, it's Michael Caine's Grand Torino. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what was the other one? Harry Brown. Oh, and Furry, Furry Vengeance. Vengeance with yeah, that, that's a curious little one right there because it's a family movie. And it's got Brendan Fraser. You can't you yeah. can't discount the Fraser factor. It's like, you know what it reminded me of? I saw a commercial for it. Um, 
Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. Because there was a scene in the commercial where Brendan Fraser is dancing with a bunch of like the a- with the animals and they're yeah. dancing yeah. too. I'm like, oh, that's dude. but I think Kangaroo Jack was successful. Was it? What, yeah. what was uh, the, was that was the one with um with uh was it Jerry O'Connell? Yeah, and Estella okay. Warren, right? And wasn't that like yeah, a Anthony Bruckheimer Anderson, movie or right? something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it could be, <laughs> could be. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, how do you guys think uh, Nightmare is going to do? It's going to be number one. You think so? Yeah, I think the name recognition is going to push it to number one, but I don't think it's going to be. I'm trying to be measure my <laughs> my enthusiasm. I think it's going to do 25, and I think Furry Vengeance is going to do about. I'm going to say 17. Hmm. How did you, uh, How did Friday the 13th do? Do was that number one? Wasn't though? it like 40? Because I was going to say 35 for Nightmare. Um, with uh, with Fiery Vengeance probably being a little more neck and neck just because that seems to be the way the box office has been going. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say 35 for Nightmare with 32 for Fiery Vengeance. And then uh, How to Train Your Dragon at like 20, yeah. which is still more than it made last week. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably dead wrong and should dial everything down. But <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go We're all ag- second guessing ourselves. I'm gonna now. go against you guys and go furry vengeance number one, and I'm gonna say, but I'm gonna say think same thing. I think it's gonna be a low weekend. You know, I think it's gonna be like twenty five maybe, and nightmare at like twenty one. That sounds probably more likely. We shall see. We all shall right. see. Um, you know, apologies to uh, we never really got back to. Um, some of the questions that we were going to answer. <laughs> Is there any one real quick we can squeeze in? Yeah, um, we got time for one. We've got uh, we've got uh, Rabid Moogle, whose question was, my question is for all you guys, since X-Men First Class is supposed to be when the team is younger, who do you think should play Jean Grey, Beast, Angel, and Iceman? Uh-huh. And uh, I, I think that's a pretty huge question. Yeah, we uh, could lead off next week with that if you want. It's tough to it's tough to cast, you know, four people. Yeah. Um, but I do get think the, you're right. Get like, the tall kid from Glee to be uh to be Beast. The tall kid from Glee, <laughs> and then and then um the other the other item here, um Fred Mania, who has written in the last couple of weeks psychoanalyzing us, um just wanted to know what our favorite movies were, um of all time of all time. So you know that's a quicker answer. Yeah, I think. yeah. I have a top five. Like if I were in prison for life and only had five movies, or stranded on a desert island. Hit us up. Uh, in no particular order: Star Trek Two, Dark Knight, L.A. Confidential, um, Empire Strikes Back, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mine would go: Rushmore, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back. This is Spinal Tap and Lost in Translation. Wow. I'm just gonna go with my number one favorite of all time: Star Wars: A New Hope. Nice. Fine. Yeah. And your number two is Phantom Menace, right? Probably Spider Man Two. Nice. I'm a big Spider Man fan. Yeah. I'm, I'm fans of both of those like properties, those franchises. So that's why they really I might sneak with me. Ghostbusters in there too, just yeah, for some laughs. One. I don't have enough laughs in my. my <laughs> desert. Be pretty dreary. I'd be slicing my wrist by the fourth day of eating coconuts <laughs> and watching movies. All right, guys. We'll hit up your uh, more of your questions next week. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please go over to iTunes and bump us up in the ratings. Hit us back via email with more questions or leave your comments in the field below. We'll talk to you later, man.